Lord, as we just come to your word today on this first day of the fast, we just are uh, so moved to draw near to you just because of the love that you first showed us, Lord. Lord, when we were just uh, in rebellion against you, Lord, we had no regard for the things of God. We didn't seek after you. We weren't righteous at all in our own ability, Lord, in our own strength. And, and yet, Lord, you still loved us and you sent your son to come and, and sacrifice and to die for us, sacrifice himself as an offering on the cross to restore the fellowship that we once had with you. And so, Lord, as we just come to that fellowship, as we come to that deep communion, as we just learn and recognize to your, your call to intimacy and to closeness with you, our God, we want to draw in, we want to come in, we want to obey, we want to seek first the kingdom of God, we want to live by every word of God. And so teach us, Lord, don't just give us a, a list of things to do. We know that wouldn't be you, but Lord, just compel us to fast, compel us to draw near because of your great love you've already showed us. As we just study your word, as we draw near in Jesus name, amen. Amen. About two years ago in an email from uh, Pastor Sandy Adams from Georgia, uh, he, he emailed Calvary Chapel Corvallis regarding the fast that we were doing. He was invited to participate with his church. And in the email that he sent, the subject line uh, read, Fatting and prayer. And he then realized immediately after he'd sent that email, don't know if you've ever done that, uh, that he misspelled that word. And so, you know, he's just very quick witted and a funny guy and wrote right back, you know, fatting, man, that's my kind of fasting, you know, and uh, I think all of us could agree with that. That's pretty much what our flesh wants. That's for sure. Uh, And uh, I was reading a Spurgeon sermon this week and he referred to an old Puritan writing that was entitled The Soul Fattening Institution of Fasting. And uh, man, while our outward man might be starving and hungry and craving, our soul is being built up and being fattened and well nourished through these times spent in deep communion with the Lord. In that sermon uh, entitled A Desperate Case and How to Meet It uh, by Charles Spurgeon back In January of 1864, he said this, And what is fasting for? That seems the difficult point. It is evidently practiced oftentimes by our Lord and advised by him to his disciples, not a kind of religious observance in itself meritorious, but a habit when associated with the exercise of prayer, unquestionably helpful. I'm not sure whether we have not lost a very great blessing in the Christian church by giving up fasting. Spurgeon goes on to talk about Luther. He says, Martin Luther, whose body, like some others, was of a gross tendency, felt as some of us to do that in our flesh there dwelt no good thing. In another sense that the apostle meant it and he used to fast frequently. He says his flesh was wont to grumble dreadfully at abstinence, but fast he would, for he found that when he was fasting, it quickened his praying. 
There's a treatise by an old Puritan called The Soul Fattening Institution of Fasting. And he gives us his own experience that during a fast, he has felt more intense eagerness of soul in prayer than he had ever done at any time. Some of you, my dear friends, may get to the boiling point in prayer without fasting. I do think that others cannot. And so as we come near to the Lord, I know, I know the Lord is going to draw near uh, and grow us in the practice of even praying through our fasting. You know, it's been said that fasting without prayer is just a hunger strike. But, you know, power, uh, fasting with prayer, it's a powerful tool. It's a powerful weapon in our arsenal. And as we pray, as we fast, uh, we grow deeper in prayer. Our prayers have more urgency. Our prayers have more frequency. As we fast, you know, the, 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 the stomach grumbles, it growls and it groans and we're prompted and reminded that, nope, I'm not going to go satisfy it with the things of this world, but rather I'm going to draw near to the Lord through prayer. Three seconds later, it growls again. Oh, nope, not going to satisfy. Going to draw near to the Lord. Lord, as much as my stomach is growling, I'm crying out to you. I'm groaning to you. I want you. I need you to move. I want to grow. Oh, there it is. Lord, as much as, you know, oh gosh. Oh man, that's been three minutes. Okay, Lord, you know, and you know, for however long you purpose in your heart to fast, that's just depth and earnestness and desperation that he's taken you deeper in prayer. Reading on one man's fasting website, he said, Do you desire a deeper, more intimate, and powerful relationship with the Lord? Are you in need of healing or a miracle? Do you need the tender touch of God in your life? Is there a dream inside you that only He can make possible? Are you in need of a fresh encounter with Christ? Are you ready to have heightened sensitivity to the desires of God? Do you need to break away from bondages that have been holding you hostage? Is there a friend or a loved one that needs salvation? Do you desire to know God's will for your life? We've studied not only last week in depth, but as we go through the book of Acts, last year as we fasted, we've just been growing and understanding that fasting is an incredible means of humbling oneself in the sight of the Lord. Humbling ourselves, realizing that we've been prideful, we've been going our own way, we've been stiff-necked and hard-headed towards the Lord, and instead of eating and keeping that up and just feeding our flesh, we're going to throw all that aside and say, Lord, I want to break myself in front of you. You know, in the Old Testament, when they would fast, they would often throw ash on themselves and put on sackcloth and rip their clothes. And, and in Joel, the Lord says, you know what? Draw near to me, and instead of ripping your clothes, rip your heart. Rip your heart and humble yourself before me. All throughout Scripture, you see fasting is an incredible time to humble yourself before the Lord. And he says he gives grace to the humble. Resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As we see in the Scripture, fasting is an opportunity for us to show our flesh who is really in charge. It's an opportunity to bring our flesh under the subjection of Christ. As our stomach growls and wants to run to the refrigerator, we say, no, you are not in charge. Jesus is in charge. As our flesh wants to put the iPod in or turn on the TV or whatever it is you might be fasting, you're not in charge. 
Instead, we're going to worship Jesus. He's in charge. He's worthy of worship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.27, he says, I discipline my body and bring it under subjection. How are we in our disciplining of ourselves and our spending time in the word and meditation upon the word and praying, crying out in intercession, in intercession to the Lord, corporate prayer. You know, our disciplines, have, are, they, are, they, are they tiny? Are they small? Do we need to grow in those areas? Bring our body under subjection through the practice of fasting. We've seen in the scriptures that fasting is directly connected with direction. Knowing which way we're supposed to go. And man, it seems like within our circles, there's always somebody that doesn't know what to do. Doesn't know where to go. And we've studied in uh, Jehoshaphat's life, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you know. We're surrounded on every side. And Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Or in Ezra, when the people got together and they consecrated a fast and they sought direction for which way they were to go and sought leading for them and their little ones. Are you in that place? This week, I encourage you, fast in some capacity. With fast comes God's divine intervention. Battles are won. Angels are dispatched. Fasting is directly uh, related with insight and revelation from the Bible. As you read the book of Daniel, as Daniel sees the sins of his people and reads the prophet Jeremiah and understands the reason they've been in captivity, he humbles himself and he fasts and immediately an angel is dispatched. And when the angel finally gets there three weeks later, the angel tells Daniel, Daniel, be of good courage, man. From the first day you set your heart to seek the Lord and to pray and to fast, I was sent to you, but for three weeks, I fought an angel of darkness on the way getting here. And Michael had to come and and intervene in the fight so that I could get to you and deliver this message to you. And he just delivers this incredible message of prophecy to Daniel. And it all began with the seeking of the Lord. Fasting is the spiritual weapon that is mighty in God for pulling down strongholds that otherwise wouldn't come down. When you fast with a pure heart, like you read in Isaiah chapter 58, and the right motive, these doors are unlocked. Doors are unlocked that otherwise wouldn't have opened or, or you know, uh, your, your dry state of your life becomes a well-watered garden and the Lord goes before you and the Lord is your rear guard and the Lord is upon you. But perhaps the most important reason for fasting is found in Zechariah chapter 7 verse 5 where it says, say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? Don't you just love that dramatic language? Just those few words. Did you really fast for me? For me? And as good as all those other reasons are, biblical reasons, powerful reasons, good and important reasons to fast, man, the chief, the paramount reason that we should seek after God is to worship the Lord, to draw near in intimacy and in communion, to cry out to the Lord, God, I am hungry for you. Getting my eyes off of my personal needs even, and Lord, I'm just getting them onto you. As 
Anna in Luke chapter two, verse 17, this 84 year old woman who'd been a, uh, a widow for, for many decades. And since she was a widow, she made it her, her purpose to spend day and night in the temple, ministering to the Lord and worshiping the Lord with fasting and with prayer. That was how she worshiped the Lord. That was how she ministered to the Lord day and night. It was for him, for him. Or in Acts chapter 13 that we've studied recently, where there were many prophets and teachers in Antioch uh, in the early church. And these prophets and teachers spent time ministering to the Lord or worshiping the Lord or serving the Lord with fasting and prayer. And it says, and the Holy Spirit said, said to them, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry. Then the next verse says, so when they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. And so we just see that that time of ministering to the Lord, that was their number one aim, just loving Jesus, just pressing into what he's won for us on the cross. The great price that he paid in laying down his life, shedding his blood, breaking his body so that we could have deep communion so that we would not rely upon anything from this world to satisfy or to sustain, but that we would enter into what he's won for us there at Calvary. That sweet fellowship, that nearness, that closeness, worshiping. And then just the trickle down from that, the trickle down from just loving on Jesus. Man, if that is just our aim, that is just our focus Jesus, I just love you. Jesus, I just want you. I just want to be with you. you. You've won it all, Lord. I want to partake in what the bridegroom has won. And just the trickle down from that is victory over sin. The oppression, you know, ceasing to be. The bondage and the chains being broken and the yokes being removed. All of a sudden, you're, just, you're not craving that cigarette anymore or that drink anymore. You're not craving that show anymore. All you crave is him. He, he puts us in that right place once again. But it's all just a trickle down of just loving on him and worshiping him. As God's chosen fast, the book that I had ordered for everybody and it never came all week long, two weeks, never came. So sorry about that. Uh, but there's just this quote in God's chosen fast that this is surely the loftiest conception that it is a worshiping or a ministering to the Lord a giving of ourselves to God and only secondary, a means to secure certain spiritual ends. So what is that loftiest conception? What is that paramount reason for fasting? Worshiping Jesus, worshiping the Lord. And only secondary is bringing our needs before him. In Matthew chapter three, let's go ahead and flip over there. Going to kind of just skim some New Testament passages on fasting. We looked at some last week. Matthew 3, verse 16. And when he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly 
a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And as you read that, it's just a really glorious time in the gospels as you see Jesus being anointed for the ministry, being baptized there in the river Jordan by John the Baptist, the the prophet who would prepare the way of the Messiah and make his path straight. And as Jesus goes down into the water and you you can almost just picture the slow motion scene of him coming up out of the water and the water peeling away off of his face and dripping back into the Jordan River and the light shining down from heaven and the, you know, and the dove, you know, you know, coming down and alighting the, you know, the Holy Spirit coming like a dove and alighting upon Jesus and the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And everyone's like, yeah, Jesus, you know, this is awesome. And you'd think that it would go from there to like some kind of a feast or meal with dancing and music and the Messiah has come and he's been anointed and la, 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 you know, and then you get to chapter four, verse one, then it says, Then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Or as Mark's gospel says, then Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted for 40 days. When he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. You know, here's the dove coming down, you know, doves, just these peaceful animals, kind of the symbol of peace, you know, the, the, the picture of the Holy Spirit, you know, lighting upon what is pure. And, and, and yet then the dove drives the son of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, it doesn't really sound very dove-like, does it? You know, and, uh, and yet, you know, you know, for the purpose of proving that Jesus would not sin, not to see if he would, but to prove that he wouldn't, uh, the spirit drives Jesus there out into the wilderness. And Jesus begins to show us out of these 40 days of fasting that he pushes the limit in fasting. After he fasted for 40 days, afterward he was hungry. You know, studies show uh, that uh, after about seven to 10 days of fasting, you begin to lose uh, that hunger feel. Sometimes even like day four or something like that, you begin to lose the hunger feel. And, uh, and then, you know, at 40 days, that feeling comes back because your body has quit eating the fat supplies and all of that and begins to eat muscle and eat important organs. And you, you've begun to starve to death. So at this point, Jesus has begun to starve to death and, uh, and he's spent this time fasting before he's tempted and it's here that Jesus says in, in chapter four, verse four, after the, the devil says, you know, if you're truly the son of God, command these stones become bread. He answers and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so these 40 days of triumph precede the temptation. These 40 days, Jesus triumphs in fasting. And that's a a wonderful thing for us because there would be no hope at all if Jesus had failed this test. There'd be no hope. There'd be no salvation. We would all be doomed. We would all be damned. We would have no hope whatsoever. The, The one possible hope of a sinless person coming and being our substitution failed. Uh, and so we are so thankful. We owe all of our salvation to this faith filled fasting 
of the Son of God. But that obedience was 40 days. It was more than 40 days in the making. But we know that if Jesus fasted 40 days before being tempted by the devil, what does that say about us? You know, here you've got Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of all things. You know, all things are in him and for him and through him. And, and you know, uh, he's got the preeminence. He's the creator of the universe. He's now being tempted by his own creation. He created Lucifer. He created the angels. And yet even he fasted for 40 days. What does that say about us? I got it covered. I don't need to fast. I've got no reason to fast. I'm going to let that practice just rust in some dark corner somewhere, as it's been said. But man, rather, man, it shows us our deep need for just close, intimate contact with the Lord. Our deep need to use the spiritual weapons that have been placed into our arsenal. You know, even Paul the Apostle, when he was still Saul and had just been converted on the road to Damascus, you know, he was sent to Damascus and there he sat in darkness being blinded for three days. He neither ate nor drank. There was something about the the moment that he was in where he knew, I can't eat right now. I can't eat right now. I've got to just, I just got to let the Holy Spirit work out in me all of the things that I had put in me. And the Holy Spirit's got to work them out. I can't eat right now. Are you crazy? Eat some corn chowder or something. That'll make the situation. No, get this stuff away from me. I've just got to seek the Lord. And for three days, he sat in darkness. There's a way forward for us that's different than anything we've ever seen or thought of before. As we dig out this old practice of fasting, there's this way forward and victory and power that, that uh, is weird to most. It's weird to people to not eat. You know, that's, that's not normal. That's strange. So is prayer. You know, prayer is something that is weird to most people. Okay, you know, if someone's up front and everyone's not looking and, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's not so bad. But you get me in a prayer circle. If, if I said right now, let's break up into groups of three or four and let's pray for each other. 90% of this room would probably have a heart attack or something like that. I can't pray and out loud and, and with people who also love Jesus. And, you know, that's, it's weird to a lot of us. But rather than running away from the weirdness that the world has put into it, Why don't we embrace it and understand that, you know what? God said that this is beneficial. God said that this is necessary. God said that this is a weapon. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to run to it. I'm going to take him at his word. Take him at his word. I'm going to starve to death. Are you crazy? Seven days without eating? Take him at his word. Take him at his word test him in that. Spurgeon said, our seasons of fasting and prayer at the Metropolitan Tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never have heaven's gates been higher. Never have our hearts been nearer to the central glory. Man, I wonder how many of our fasting journals are going to say, the days of fasting and prayer at the chapel were high days indeed. Never has my heart been nearer to the Lord. Never, never have I felt so in his presence. Like the gates of heaven were so high. I was singing with the angels, you know, 
I was there. I was beholding him. I was communing with him. I was fellowshipping with him. That's what he'd won for me on the cross. And there I was in his presence. Incredible days indeed. Never have our hearts been near to the central glory. And so as Jesus counters the temptation with the word of God, you know, that temptation, if you're really the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And, and most of us are thinking that's a temptation. <laughs> you know, you should see what I'm tempted with every day. If that's, if these are, uh, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be bread and Jesus counters with the word of God, then that is our sword. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's what we're doing this week. We're not just saying that we hunger for God, but we're showing God through our actions, we hunger for you. And we do not live by bread alone. We live on your word. We live on communion with you. We live on finishing your work and doing your will. It's interesting that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter eight. In fact, every counter that he does to these temptations are all from Deuteronomy. And why don't you flip back there? Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two. It says, and you shall remember that the Lord, your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. And I should preface that uh, uh, it's interesting how this and Jesus's temptation account in Matthew 4, how they kind of interweave and how they parallel each other. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so Jesus here in Matthew chapter four, he basically almost reenacts Deuteronomy eight, two and three. He identifies with the people of God who hungered in the wilderness as he hungered there for 40 days versus 40 years, just painting a picture for us that Jesus is the victorious Joshua. Jesus is the true and the better Joshua. As Jesus lived and passed and died for sins and defeated the devil and rose from the dead and leads his people into the promised land that's flowing with milk and honey. Jesus has done that. It's what the picture of the Old Testament, all the pictures in the Old Testament point to Jesus. The picture of the children passing into the promised land is a picture of the people of God entering into heaven. And he embraced these 40 days of pain, of fasting, before three years of pain, of earthly ministry, being rejected, being mocked, being spat upon, being pursued to to kill him, and then finally being murdered. 
But we see there in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, that those times in the wilderness were times of humility for the children of Israel. They were times of testing. And that's exactly what a fast is. Jesus was being tested. This week, many of us will be tested to see what controls us. What controls us? What that bottom line passion is. A man named Richard Foster wrote a book on fasting. He says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who wants to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. I'll pause there for a second. You know, it's such a benefit for a disciple of Jesus to be shown the things that are holding him or that is con- that are controlling him, that are satisfying him, things other than Jesus. We want that. Our flesh doesn't want that, but our souls want that. We want to be closer to Christ. We want to be conformed more into his image. And yet we cover up what's inside of us and our sins and our struggles and our pain. We cover it up with food mainly, but also other things, other passions and people and hobbies and, and, uh, and, and uh, number one things. But, you know, we medicate with food, you know, to numb the pain to hide the pain, to get rid of the pain, to deaden the pain. We go to food or we go to the TV or we go to the iPod. We have the conviction of the Holy Spirit on our hearts, convicting us of sin. And we don't really want to think about that. So let's put something in our mind that I don't want to think about sin. I'm going to watch this. It's going to distract me from my sin right now. I want to put this in my ear. It's going to distract me. Or I I have pain in my heart and I want to think about that. So I'm going to run to the you know, Rocky Road ice cream, you know, or I'm going to run to this or that. And we run to other things besides Jesus and that's idolatry. And so the times of fasting, they uncover those sins that we have, those things that take the place of Jesus as our comforter, the things that take the place of Jesus as our rest, the things that take the place of Jesus as our husband or our wife or whatever, that passion that we number one should have in Christ And then it's just illustrated through our relationship with our spouses. Whatever those things are, they're idols. And times of fasting, bring them to the surface and expose them. It uncovers it all. Pride, idols, you know, lust, pain, anger. It's all, it's all brought to about. He goes on to say, Richard Foster goes on to say, if pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David said, I humbled myself with fasting, anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we know that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. You know, as a Christian, this is good to hear. We want to hear it. Wow. Oh man, I've got pride in me. I've got anger. We want that revealed because we want the healer to get rid of it. We want to be conformed more into his image. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be holy like Jesus. And so when we're confronted with that, that's good. We want to give that up to the Lord and allow him to take that away. 
And so during the periods of fasting, we're shown what's within us. And the Lord says, hey, I want you to get rid of that. And we're either going to deal with it or we're going to smother it again with food. We're going to smother it again with those hobbies or those entertainment things or whatever. We're going to smother that and not deal with it. It's one or the other. But if you continue on in the fast, it's just continually saying, Lord, as desperate as I am for food right now, I am desperate to have this sin dealt with. I am desperate to have it gone. I'm desperate to have it taken away. You know, when those times come, you just ask yourself, what am I going to do now? It's been exposed. Here it is in front of me. I'm either going to go to supper right now and, and eat and pig out, or I'm going to look to the redeemer. I'm going to look to my shepherd. I'm going to look to my physician and, and I'm going to have him deal with those things. As Paul said in first Corinthians chapter six, verse 12, I will not be ruled by anything. I will not be ruled by anything. It's a time to show that to the Lord. Lord, I won't be ruled by food. I will take my flesh and put it under subjection of Christ. It is subject to you, Lord. I will not be ruled by it. Show him who's boss. Show my flesh who's boss, Lord. Make it say your name, you know. Say the name of Jesus, flesh, because it is what rules us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, just Paul refers to a group of people and he says that their God is their belly. That refers to me. So often my God is my belly. It's what I, uh, I turn to, to feel better, you know, to mask the pain or to numb the pain. Listening to John Piper to, uh, this week teach on fasting, he says that fasting is not just the means of preparing for testing, like we thought it was with Jesus, which is, oh, he's just preparing himself for the test, which is true, but fasting is the testing. So what Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse uh, 2 and 3 said, now these are not at odds with each other. When you see who you really are, and draw on God to live at that moment. You strike a blow to Satan that he cannot recover from. When Satan sees your heart is relying on God rather than murmuring or rather than turning back to that passion, he is defeated. And that's what 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 talks about when it says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Think about it. While you're fasting, the temptations to go back to those ways or to go back to those things rather than pressing through the fast, the temptation to rely on that God of food rather than the God of the heavens and the earth. And when there's that moment, there's that moment you're standing at the fridge and you're getting the chocolate milk out for the kids, you know, and you could pour yourself a glass or you could grab a couple more things out and pop it in the, I mean, there's times that that temptation is there. But you say, uh-uh, and you shut the door and you say, as hungry as I am, I am hungry for you to reign in me, Jesus. Can you hear the slap on the face of Satan? Just, you know, just, you are schooling him at that moment. You're overcoming the world through your faith. You're coming, overcoming the flesh through your faith. At that moment, you are exercising faith 
towards God, that you believe that he is stronger, that he will satisfy more, that he will sustain you more than that worldly, physical moment of pleasure or satisfaction. And you're showing the Lord and you're showing the the angels, really, you're showing them your faith. Think about, you know, that uh, Hebrews tells us that, you know, the angels desire to look into the things that are going on here because they've understood from the beginning God's plan for salvation and they've watched it being unfolded and they've watched the son of God set aside the privileges of his throne and come to earth and become a man and a humble man at that, a servant man who's going to be murdered. And they're watching this and they're watching people come to faith in Christ and love Jesus because he first loved them and switch from a rebel state to a, to a child of God state. And the angels desire to look into that. And so these moments are so powerful when, when we are just participating in the spiritual realm and exercising faith on a radical level by saying, Lord, you are stronger. Lord, you satisfy more. Strikes a blow on the cheek of Satan. But there in Deuteronomy 8, 3, if you're not still there, just remember, he's reminding the children of Israel of that season of passing through the wilderness And he says, remember, I fed you with manna that you did not know of. They're the children of Israel. They're walking through the wilderness and they're starving and they're looking around and there's just stones. And man, they were wishing that they had the power to turn stones into bread at that moment. And they're hungry and there's no water and they're thirsty. And the Lord provided manna from heaven. That was a sign to them that they would not find their real sustenance on earth, but that it would come to heaven. And later on, Jesus would say, that manna was me. Or the water that came out of the rock to quench their thirst, that was from the Lord. And I am the water of life, Jesus would say. Drink of me, you'll be refreshed. The lesson there to the Israelites was there is food and there is refreshment that you just don't know of. It's not of this world but it's from heaven. It's from the Lord. And we remember last week reading John chapter four, when Jesus was busy ministering and the disciples tried to get Jesus to eat something. And he said, I've got food that you don't know about. Has someone given him something to eat? What is he talking about? You know? And then he says, my food is to do the will of the father and to finish his work. That's That's the food, that's the nourishment, that's the sustenance that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man doesn't live on olives alone or grapes alone or the the livestock that is in the stalls. We don't live on that, but we live on communion with the Lord, obedience to the Lord, the word of God, meditating upon it. And so Satan Knowing the history of Israel, knowing that it was Jesus who provided the bread and provided the water, sees Jesus out in the wilderness, starving after 40 days of eating. And, you know, the devil, knowing how to do biblical exegesis, knowing the Old Testament, but using it to twist things, very slyly basically says, hey, if you're the son of God, you are the one that brought the manna. And you were the one that brought the water from the rock. Do it again. And man, it was just so close to being right, but it wasn't right. It was a lie. And it just winged past Jesus. And he was able to finish out the section of scripture and say, hey, you know what, Satan? That wasn't the point. 
The point was, man won't live by bread. They cannot depend upon the worldly bread, but they must depend upon God. Man won't live by bread alone or shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't need bread, need God. And what comes out of the mouth of God? God, (laughs) we need more of him. Spend that time with him this week, man. We just welcome you into this fast this week for more of God. We just want more of him. We want him to reveal himself. We want to have understanding. In Matthew chapter six, verse 16, just going to finish with just a couple quick other references. Matthew six sixteen. And just the context here of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter six, you know, Jesus is just saying, man, when you pray, pray like this or don't pray like this. When you give, give like this, don't give like this. And then here in verse 16, he says, moreover, when you fast, and I want you to underline that phrase, when you fast, no, it doesn't say if you fast. Hey, you Christians. Yeah, you know, whatever, you know, whatever's clever. Thanks, Jesus. You're the best, you know? And, and, you know, it's like, man, I've given you these incredible tools and privileges. And, and when you use them, because you should use them, not as a form of, um, of our righteousness before God, but like a, like a patient uses the prescription prescribed by the doctor, to do well, we use the prescription prescribed by Jesus to do well. And so when the doctor says, when you fast, we want to fast. And a lot of amazing missionaries, their lives have been changed by this phrase that, man, when you fast, okay, I'm going to spend time fasting. And God ended up calling them out onto the mission field. I wonder what God's going to do here in this church to just that, that practice of fasting, not just this week, but just in our personal lives and throughout the year. And then times of corporate prayer and fasting like, like we have here. But, you know, Jesus said, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in the secret place and your father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. And so, yes, this passage does teach a private fast in your private prayer closet where you're not letting men know. And yet at the same time in the scriptures, throughout the scriptures, we do see corporate times of prayer and fasting. And it's impossible during those times to call a corporate fast and nobody knows that they're fasting. You know, it's a time where uh, we, we come together and we cry out in desperation for the Lord. But Matthew 6 here just says, man, you make sure your motives are in check because it is just threaded into the fallen condition of man to want some kind of pat on the back some kind of special respect for your spirituality or your piety or your discipline or, you know, your devotion. And, you know, we all, me included, we can fall so quickly into that, hey, 
guess what I'm doing this whole week, you know, or whatever. And, and you just get that sympathy. Hey, that's your reward. If your reward that you wanted was applause for man, dude, you got it, but that's all you're getting. But man, if your heart, even though others might know you're fasting, but your heart is not to get any sort of applause whatsoever, but to just glorify the Lord and draw near to him, man, you'll get reward from your father in heaven. When you are fasting and you go to the kitchen and you happen to walk through there to get a glass of water or something, your kids are all eating. Hey, dad, why aren't you eating? Oh, no, it's all over. I can't lie to him. And I can't, you know, it's like, what do I? Oh, great. Well, guess I can't fast, you know. I mean, that's the Lord's not like legalistic like that. But use those opportunities. You're, you're in your break room at work and people are wondering, hey, you want to go to lunch? Nah, oh, why not? You know, and, and just, man, use it as an opportunity to testify of Jesus. Say, man, you know what? I am hungry right now. I'm not going to lie to you, but I am so much hungrier for Jesus. And this week, man, I'm just not going to eat and I'm just going to call out to him and, and, and just draw near to him. You just, you can do that with a totally pure heart. Hey buddy, you asked, (laughs) you know, but man, it's about your heart. It's about your motive. And the Lord sees that. And if you have a heart to get the praise and the accolades and the commendation of man. And, you know, you want people to know that this fast is hard. So you ruffle up your hair and put dust all over your clothes and untuck half of your shirt and forget to tie your shoelaces. And you're just like, and everyone's like, oh yeah, that is sad. You know, um, then just don't do it. You know, don't do that. It'd be better if you just didn't. I don't think that's any one of our hearts, although we can quickly fall into that. In Mark chapter 9, verse 28 and 29, we read of just that encouragement to fast after the disciples couldn't cast out a demon out of a boy. And Jesus came along and after an incredible conversation with the boy's dad, ended up casting the demon out. And the disciples asked, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And Jesus said that this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You know, prayer and fasting bring these victories that otherwise might not be brought. You know, uh, you can't just come across a demon-possessed person and then go take a week to pray and fast. I mean, right there, the deliverance is needed. And as H.A. Ironside said, no one can have power over unclean spirits. And he's just, unless he's in this intimate contact with the Lord. And as Spurgeon said, we opened with the quote that what is fasting? Fasting is a habit. It's a continual thing for the Christian that they are just in intimate contact and communion with the Lord and they'll sense here's a demon possessed person and here's the power that's been made available to cast it out. In Acts chapter 13, again, we saw the early church ministering to the Lord and fasting and the Holy Spirit called those men, called Paul and uh, and Barnabas out into the mission field. And that's just, a, and just to pause for a second on that, because we've studied it a lot lately, but just to think about the, that prayer meeting and that fasting meeting there in Antioch changed the course of history. You know, there are 13 letters written in the New Testament that wouldn't be in our Bible had that prayer meeting not have been happening. Those, those churches that were planted, that these letters were written to, were an effect of the Holy Spirit saying, I've heard your prayers, I've heard your fasting, you're not sure what to do at this moment in Antioch, and I'm saying to you, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry, send them out. And so they prayed and fasted and sent them out. 
Now, why would the Holy Spirit wait for a church to humble themselves in fasting before he spoke? Why would the Lord wait for you to humble yourselves through fasting before bringing deliverance or giving you direction in life? Because God loves to be sought for extraordinary guidance. He loves that. As we quoted last week, you know, uh, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. When we are just crying out to him in desperation, man, his, we are just radiating his glory. We are shining his glory back to him. And he hears and he acts upon those cries. And because of that, Acts 13, prayer and fasting, meaning every country in the world today has a Christian influence by those missionaries being sent out. Who knows what the Lord's going to do this week? I'm excited. I, I have an expectant heart. I expect the Lord to do great things. It's just been really neat to, throughout the week, kind of hear what some of you are going to do, what the Lord's laid on your heart and what you're crying out for, and just the excitement that, uh, that we have in our hearts as we draw near to the Lord. And as we spend time adoring the Lord tonight when we come, we're just going to adore the Lord tonight as we spend time humbling ourselves and confessing sin tomorrow, as we spend time Tuesday night praying for the youth of this city, who knows what the Lord will accomplish? You know, as we pray for missions in this church, who knows what the Lord will do is sending out missionaries to other countries or other parts of the state or whatever. Hey, separate for me. So-and-so and so-and-so. I want to do something radical over in these areas. And I'm just praying for wisdom and strategy and effectively bringing the gospel to Prineville. I am praying hard for that. Like a strategy. Think of the parable of the shrewd servant who was going to get fired. And so he used this manipulative little accounting trick to save his bacon and not get fired. And Jesus said, you know what? The sons of this world are so shrewd. You know, it's kind of a craftiness in wisdom. It's kind of a weird word, that shrewdness. The sons of this world are so shrewd pertaining to the things of this world. They know how to save their bacon. How come the sons of light aren't shrewd in advancing the kingdom? They're not, they're not tactful. Lord, help me. You know, I'm just crying out, Lord, give us tact. Give us just specifics on how to reach this community. And what to do as we pray for missionaries, as we pray for persecuted church, who knows if some shackle might break off of somebody's hands over in Afghanistan or, you know, Indonesia, as we pray for them, Pakistan, you know, prison's doors are open and he just goes right out like, I don't know. And in heaven someday we'll know, Hey, remember when the whole church was praying for the persecuted church? I was doing a work then. You didn't know it then, but you know it now. And as we pray for addictions, just those shackles of addiction and bondage to just be let loose, the yoke of legalism, that it would just fall off of us. Just expect the Lord to do great things as we pray for our government, for our president. Who knows? Maybe our president might become a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray with great faith and with expecting hearts. You can flip to Joel and we'll close with Joel's words. I know we've read them before. We're going to read a little farther than we have together. 
Maybe you're praying for a revival in the town or a job or healings, spiritual victory. Come and let us pray. We're going to have a forum on the church website and it's there on the toolbar at the top where it says uh, 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 over on the right side, it will say forum and you can go and there'll just be ways to share. Hey, can you guys pray and fast for me in this area this week? Or, hey, I, I was, I had a dream last night and I don't know what it means, but here's the dream. And those of you that are fasting and praying, will you pray for just the interpretation of this dream? Or this is what I'm praying for. This is my need. And we're going to have just a forum there to have communication with each other as we fast corporately. But Joel chapter two, verse 12 says, now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast Call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. I mean, I love this as there's this fast consecrated, just this period of time set apart for crying out to the Lord. And I love that it just mentions just to the people who think you shouldn't do it or can't do it. Come do it. I know there's nursing moms in this church and you can't just stop eating or you won't be able to nurse. Hey, just pray about how the Lord would have you fast, fast from media or fast from sugars or fast from something. You know what you can fast from. Just seek the Lord. Be led by the Spirit. Be free. Some of you have important, important events that are happening this week, and you just want to be sharp in the mind, so I'd better eat right, you know, or whatever. It's like, hey, just be led by the Spirit. But I would say to, you know, the bridegroom that was called out of his, you know, chamber, or the, you know, the uh, bride that was called out of her dressing room, you know, that she was like, I kind of got something important going on now. Hey, we all do. We're praying. We're seeking the Lord. And you can this week, just, Lord, for me, for my life, for what I've got going on, for my health condition, what can I do? How can I participate? Because I want to cry out to you. I want to express to you my deep longing for you through my hunger. That's what we're going to do this week. We come expecting. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.